I want to start tonight by saying, number one, I hope you had a, a great Christmas and a, a wonderful New Year, and I hope your New Year is off to a, a great start. Um, and second, I want to say to you, I'm glad you're here tonight. It's good to see you. We live in a world with, of people that have so many other priorities going on, right? It's all the other activities, and then if we get time, we fit church or more importantly, Jesus into the mix, right? So I want to say to you, I'm proud of you for making it a priority to come together in fellowship, to study the word and to worship together and to eat a meal and to play around together, right? And so I hope that over the years that you've been coming or maybe the year or the last semester that you've been able to grow not only closer with the Lord, but closer with someone in this room, that you've developed some friendship in this room that's deep and meaningful and lasting, uh, and if you haven't, then make an effort to dive into that in some way, to, to befriend someone, to encourage someone, uh, not only in their daily walk, but in their walk with Christ. Um, find someone to do that. So I'm proud of you. Good to see you tonight. Most of you are smiling faces. I'm glad you're here um, tonight. First John chapter 1. Some of you might have some notes uh, in your Bible from this passage before. Uh, we've looked at it before, and I want to use this to kick off the new year for us. Uh, to kind of send us into 2019 so that we can see clearly in 2020. <laughs> How many times are we going to hear that, right? It's coming. Okay, just get ready. 2020, see clear, whatever. Okay. If you want the point of tonight's message, here it is. Write this down, memorize it, save it in your notes. Whatever you want to do, here it is. Faithful proclamation leads to fellowship, which brings about completed joy. Okay. Faithful proclamation leads to fellowship, which brings about completed joy. There are so many people who say they can be Christians, but not a part of the church, and that's not true. I can be a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. That's not a truth. And I'll show you why in Scripture tonight. Because Scripture, being a Christian, following Christ, calls us into fellowship with other people who are like-minded, who think like us, okay? They think in the same way that we do. And we're being called together through this person, this man named Jesus. All right, we're going to read um, in just a minute. First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It's interesting, like our world that we live in, when we say the world, what do we mean? We have an idea. What do we mean when we say the world? That little ball of earth, that little ball of dirt that kind of floats in the universe. The world we talk about is people who aren't followers of Christ, people out there who don't profess Jesus Christ, okay? And it's interesting how the world is obsessed with finding joy, fulfillment, and pleasure. Like the world is obsessed with finding those things, right? I, I got to find the next high, the next joy, the next fun, the next excitement, all these things. I'm not suggesting those are bad, but what I'm suggesting is that if that's the only thing that you seek, then at night when you go home and lay down, you're going to be empty on the inside because those things don't last forever. It seems that our world is obsessed with this. Um, if you were to ask some people why they do the things that they do or what motivates them uh, to do the things, they would say some things like this. Well, I do that because it, it feels good, right? I do it because it feels good. Someone else might say it fulfills them in some way. Someone else might say it brings me so much joy. It just brings me happiness. That's why I do it. Even when you ask about harmful activities and actions, people will say, I do those things because it brings me happiness, joy, or pleasure. 
right? Over and over again, you'll hear those kind of answers. Even as Christians, sometimes we're motivated by what fulfills us or what brings us joy more than we are motivated by seeking Christ or following Christ, right? I read a little quote this week about um, Fortnite. It's still a thing, I guess. But it was this game developer lady who tests all the games or whatever, a lady. And she said um, about the game, why it's so addicting. She said because it brings her so much excitement. Every day when she opens it up, there's something new on there. So if you haven't caught on, they've got the hook, right? And it's this newness or this new appeal. There's always going to be something different about the game. Like when I was playing games with my original Nintendo box, those games never changed. You could defeat Mario Brothers 87 times, and it was still going to be the same the next time you played it. So what happened? You put that game down, and you had to go get another one, or you just didn't play anymore, right? But now developers have figured out the hook to keep you addicted to the game. Something new, something new, something exciting, Something that brings you joy because you learn the latest thing. You're the first one to defeat that new item, whatever that is. So this lady said that's the hook. That's what brings people in, this excitement about those things. And people are seeking, you as teenagers are seeking that excitement. But in all this seeking, the crazy thing is, it seems like the world is unhappier than ever. It seems like the world is unhappier than ever. Here's a little experiment, and I've had you do this before. Um, As you go out to school in the morning, you get in your car, your parents are driving, because any of you licensed drivers? No, none of you are yet. Oh, yeah, sorry, Jordan. Sorry, I went right past you. Um, In the back, we got some in the back, all right? So you guys can do this experiment, and you have the kids do it, riding with your parents tomorrow. You get to a stoplight. I know there's only a few in town, so you might have to do a stop sign. Next time time you're in Amarillo, do this. Just look over at the people next to you in their cars uh, when you're at a stoplight. Now, don't, please don't be creepy about it. Don't be like, oh, don't be eyeballing them and staring at them. Don't drool. Don't pick your nose as you look at them. But here's what I want you to do. Just glance over at them real quick and then look back and just make a note of the expression on their face. Now, here's, I've done this several times. Just, okay, just look over. Look over at them. Okay, there they are. Let's practice. There they are. Look and look back. Okay? You look too long. Okay, just look and look back. Make a note of what's on their face. Okay? Now, here's the funny thing. If you do this experiment in the morning on a work day or a school day, you can tell the people who just dread work and dread their day. You you can see it all over their face, right? You can see the singers because they're going to be singing along. You can see the people who are angry at someone else in the car because they'll be yelling, right? All these kind of different emotions are going on. But what I've noticed over and over and over again, morning or afternoon, glance over, there's this expression of um, unhappiness, sadness, almost sorrow so many times. It's like I would not want to be going where you're going at this point because it looks like you're dreading it as you're driving home from work or to work or whatever. Just a little experiment. No science in that. Um, but it's, it's just they don't look like they're joy-filled. And even as Christians, we miss out on joy. <laughs> just look around. Well, I shouldn't have you do this, but even as Christians, we miss out 
on this joy, this deep-seated joy. Just look around some Sunday morning in church. Please don't stare at anyone and don't say, Richard told me to stare at you or whatever. Just look around. Are we coming with an excitement of joy to worship our Savior, worship our Creator, or is it some dreaded burden that we have to do because it's societally still acceptable or still looked upon as favorable? Is it something we're doing with joy or is it something that we're doing as a burden? So faithful proclamation leads to fellowship, which brings about completed joy. Let's talk about how we have that completed joy. First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. What was, is everybody there? If you found it, say, I found it. Hey, I found, that was a delayed I found it. Okay. First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Yeah, it's not, it's not too long, so you can find, if you're in the book, you're good. All right, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And then verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that your joy may be made complete. So the first thing I want you to see is where do you find joy? It's in Christ. And can you find a completed joy? Yes, absolutely. He says, otherwise, he wouldn't, John would not have written, your joy may be made complete. Okay, so if you're taking notes... First thing I want you to write down is faithful proclamation. We're just going to break down that phrase I told you earlier. Faithful proclamation. Joy is not completed by simply seeing and hearing, right? It's not completed by seeing and hearing. It's not passive. It's not something you just say, give me joy. You have to put some type of work or effort into it. Let's break down the passage. We see it here. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we looked upon and we touched with our hands concerning the word of life. When John writes, so John, the book of John, the gospel of John, Zeke and I were talking about this earlier, John 1.1, in the beginning was the, let's practice again, in the beginning was the the word, and the word was with God, right? So who is the word when John is writing? Who is he, he talking about? He's talking about this man named Jesus. Zeke got it earlier, right? He's talking about Jesus. So when we see it here in 1 John, also the same writer of the Gospel of John, we see here that when he talks about the word of life, concerning this word of life, Jesus. So we've seen him, we've heard him, we've looked upon him, we've even touched him. Okay? Why is that important? Because that's evidence for us of the reality of who Jesus was. Why can you believe that Jesus is real? Because we have a testimony of one who saw him, heard him, looked upon him, and even touched him. Why is it important that he put touched him in there? So that some, they wouldn't say, oh, he was just a ghost or something like that. It was just some spirit floating around. No, he was real. We touched him, right? So first thing you got to see, faithful proclamation. It's not just seeing and hearing. It's not passive. You have to be actively involved in this. You can sit in class in school all semester long, right? You can show up and you'll get a grade for showing up. Like you just get a participation grade. They do those, right? You just show up and you're there. But then there's assignments that you have to do. And you get grades for that as well. You can sit there all year long, but you may not pass that class. 
if you don't ever do the work necessary, right? There's always this thing that comes at some point in a class, four-letter word, it's a test, right? There's always a test that comes. And you have to have some type of information, <laughs> some type of understanding, because I know you're all faithful Christian students who would never look over at someone else's paper. Never, thank you. Never. So this test, the reason, the reason, listen up, the reason you're given a test, you're called to be accountable. You're called to be accountable for the time that you spent in that classroom, right? That's what the test does. It says, did you learn anything? Did you not learn anything? You're called to be accountable for the work that you put in through the test. You can't just hear it, right? You can't just hear it and you can't just see it. You got to put it into action some way. And you put it into action in the classroom through a test, through homework, through assignments. You say, yeah, I've heard the information. I've seen, I've seen it and I've heard it. I've got it, but I have to put it into action some way to show that I'm actually understanding and learning. We know this and we know that in order to find joy, we must actively seek it. But often it's misdirected. It's misdirected seeking of joy, right? You ever heard someone say, man, I can't wait for this big event to happen? Vacation, for example. I can't wait for vacation. Dottie and I just went to Nashville last week, spent a couple of days out there. Leading up to that, I just couldn't wait to go. I was so excited about going out there because I'd never been before. A lot of things I wanted to see in just a short amount of time to see it. And just so much excitement and anticipation uh, about getting out there. Statements like vacation, I'll be fulfilled. When I get this new house, when I get this new car, you guys aren't worried about that. You're worried about when I get a new phone. Yeah, when my parents finally let me download this or that app, when I get this like or this share or whatever is current today, when I get those things, then my life will be complete, right? Or when this certain person notices me, when this certain person sees me, when this certain person talks to me, then I'll be fulfilled. But herein lies the problem. Here's the problem. Many of many Christians, you and I included, are faithfully proclaiming things. Many Christians are faithfully proclaiming things and yet their joy is left incomplete because they're faithfully proclaiming the wrong things. Many of you in this room don't find any joy in life that's lasting because you're proclaiming the wrong things, right? You've seen it. You've heard it. Now, here's how it happens. Here's how it works out. We call them trends in our culture. It's a trend, right? So something becomes popular for a moment. Other people see it. What happens? They tell you, Mason, have you checked out the latest video? And you're like, no, I haven't. So you go check out the latest video. And then you like the video and you hear about the video. And then what do you do? You tell someone else about it, right? So you see it, you hear it. Uh, and then you... <laughs> and then you tell someone else about it. And so you're proclaiming things that in the end are empty, right? I'm not saying it's bad to talk about a video you've seen. I saw this gorilla playing drums today and it was awesome. I put it on our page, okay? But we're faithfully proclaiming the wrong things, which leaves us without joy. So often as Christians, we're known for what we run, for, run from, rather than what we run to, right? 
We're known by the things we, we don't do. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do that because it's all sinful and wrong. That's necessary. But we're never telling anybody who we're, who we're running to. We're never saying we're running to Jesus. And that's the proclamation that we're talking about here. We can't be known by what we're running from. We've got to be known by who we're running to. Joy is completed by faithfully proclaiming the per- correct person or thing. Now, John doesn't leave us hanging here. He tells us what it looks like and what it means and what he's talking about when he says proclaim. He says, one, what was from the beginning? The thing that was from the beginning, Jesus, right? In the beginning was the word, John 1. We get that again. We proclaim what was from the beginning. We're not proclaiming the latest fad, the latest trend, the latest I saw this or did that. We're talking about Jesus. Number two, we're talking about what we've heard. Now, if you've been in here for any amount of time, we talk about the Bible, I hope, right? I mean, that's what I always attempt at. So you've heard the word at some point. If you sit uh, in church on Sunday morning from our pastor, you hear the word, right? You've heard it. So we've got to proclaim what's from the beginning. We've got to hear the word. We, we've seen it. How have we seen Jesus? If I say you've seen him at work, how, how would you say you've seen Jesus? Has he been in the room with us in the flesh where we can touch him? No. So how would you say we've seen Jesus? Now, John is saying that here because he, they did, right? They saw him. saw him walking. How do we say that? We've seen Jesus. The Scripture tells us that we're to be what? The hands and... You can say it. The hands and feet of Jesus, right? Now, I'm going to go a little deep in some theology here, but uh, at Jesus' baptism, what happened? He went under the water. John the Baptist baptized him. He was baptized. He came up, and then what? A dove came and landed on him, right? And the, the Spirit, you're right, the Spirit came upon him, and that was marked by the dove, right? When you're baptized, when you put your faith in Christ, when you turn away from sin to follow Christ, you're marked by the Spirit of God, right? You're marked by the Holy Spirit, which then, like a dove, lands upon you and dwells within you. So the Spirit dwells within you, and then you become a part of what we call family of God, right? But you become a part of the Christian community, the fellowship, so then you are now acting as a representative for Jesus here on this earth, right? You guys listen up back there. So then you're now acting as a representative for Jesus here on this earth. So how do we say we've seen Jesus? Because I've seen someone else who's following Christ act like Christ. Someone else has seen you the way you've acted and interacted, acting like Christ. They say, I've seen Christ. So when we say we're talking about someone who was from the beginning, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've looked upon him, touched him. Now how do we do that? In the same way. Right? We've seen other people at work for Christ. We've seen those things. We've been able to be involved in those things. So go, reach out. We're called to do that. Uh, missions is a part of this proclamation. Service is a part of this proclamation. Um, and then who is it that we're proclaiming? John doesn't leave it out. He says the word of life, Jesus. So we're faithfully proclaiming Jesus, who we've heard and seen, who we're a part of, and the next step in this process, we'll break it down, we just got two points left, leads to fellowship. So why is it that you would faithfully proclaim Jesus? 
He says, so that, do you see those words in there? So that you will have fellowship. Now, really, what people are saying when they tell you, everybody look up here for a second, when they're saying, I do this because it makes me happy or brings me joy or brings me pleasure, they're seeking relationships that are fulfilling, right? They're seeking a relationship that is fulfilling and lasting. And we've talked over and over and over again about relationships with people who are not Christians, right? And I'm talking about a deep relationship. People are not Christians and how those relationships can sometimes be empty. I'm not saying, don't hear me saying, don't associate with non-Christians. That's not the point. The point is to find deep fellowship with like-minded persons is we proclaim Christ and we come together and say, I follow Jesus. How about you? And you guys are supposed to say, I follow Jesus. No, I'm kidding. I follow Jesus. How about you? And I say, yes, I follow Jesus. And we're in this together. Right, Zeke? We'll be in this together both following Christ. We have something deeply in common, what we've been saved by Jesus, the creator of us, the sustainer of us, the fulfiller of us, and together we can have that joy together. So he breaks it down very quickly. I'll talk about it. Fellowship with who? With us. John's calling those that he's writing this letter into, to, he's calling them into fellowship with each other. Like our deepest, and I always say this, I don't know how to make it happen. I think it's just a bigger trust, bigger, a deeper ability to trust. But this should be the place where you have some of the deepest relationships in your life, right? The most fulfilling relationship should be here. Fellowship with one another. He's calling you to that. But next, more deeply than that even, he's calling you to fellowship with the Father. Call, it, call you to fellowship with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. He's the creator. We have no fellowship with others or with the Father without Christ, the word of life. Right? He is the source. He's calling us into fellowship with one another, with the Father, and with Jesus Christ. You guys have seen the illustration before. The cross, right? We talked about this a time or two. The cross has a vertical pole and it has a pole that goes sideways, right? This vertical pole represents for tonight... As an illustration, your relationship with Jesus. Is it in order? Is it right? Are you following him? And if that's true, then the vertical, vertical, the horizontal becomes correct as well. Horizontal is the relationships with the people that you're around, right? Now, I said a while ago, the relationships with persons who are not Christians aren't as fulfilling, that doesn't change how we treat them. That doesn't change how we interact with them. That doesn't change how we speak to them. That doesn't change how we approach them. That doesn't make us turn our backs. That makes us open our arms with love and say, hey, do you want to come into this fellowship that has some of the deepest relationships that you can find? Come join us. So the cross illustration is fitting. Relationship with Christ, he calls you into that fellowship with the Father and with the Son, and then your relationship flows with the people that you're around every day that you interact with. So do we have a picture of what this is to look like? What does fellowship with the Father look like? If you turn over to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, I believe this gives us a picture of the relationship that John is calling us into. You know, I think it's good to see it in Scripture because 
not many of us know these deep and lasting relationships like we're talking about here, this fellowship. There's a, we've all been scarred. We've all been scarred by someone and often because we're at church a lot, a lot of you are at church, we've been scarred by someone, we've been scarred by someone in the church. And so what does that cause us to do? Go away, recoil. I'm never trusting anyone again because of what so-and-so did to me, right? So we have to look into Scripture and find the picture of what that relationship with the Creator is like and then use that. Listen, look up here. If you'll use this as your standard as opposed to how someone else treated you, it will allow you to be in fellowship in a much deeper way than if you say, that person did this to me. Well, number one, that person isn't God. And so why are we allowing them to govern our standard for relationship? Right? I'm guilty of it. I've been scarred. I've been hurt. Right? People have said things that I don't even know why it would come out of their mouths. They're just rude. I've probably done the same thing a time or two, unknowingly. Right? So let's don't use humans' actions as a standard to say, well, I'm just not going to be involved. Let's look at God's standard, all right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. This is a picture of what this relationship was like. Um, Verse number 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, why do I point you to this verse? Chapter 3 of Genesis is the fall of man, right? Sin enters the world. So why do I point you to verse 8? Because at the beginning it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. Walking in the garden in the cool of day. Their relationship with God was so intimate that he came looking for them, right? In, In a personal way. Now I believe this is written in some language to help us understand because God isn't confined to a body. But the way the writer here, Moses, illustrates this for us is help us understand he, the relationship was so close that he was walking in the garden looking for them. That's deep and abiding and lasting relationship. That should be our standard. That should be our standard for all relationships, that our desire is to walk with God every day. You say, well, that's not possible. Well, then why did Christ die? It is a possibility. It is a goal. It is an approach. We should be heading in in that direction. God walks among them, walked amongst them. And because the Spirit dwells in you and I as believers, he walks in us today, right? As a body, the body of Jesus Christ. That's what John is calling us to. Then verse 7, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, right? Cleanses us from all sin. All right, so faithful proclamation leads to fellowship, fellowship with one another, fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son. And then this, this payoff verse, it brings about completed joy. It brings about this joy that, in effect, we're all really looking for. Like, that's what, that's what you're looking for. When you wake up in the morning... And you're like, man, today is going to be a dreaded day. Today's going to be a tough day. Today's going to be a hard day. What you're saying is, I want a relationship that's lasting and fulfilling. 
And if, remember the cross again, if it's off vertically, then these are going to be off horizontally, naturally, right? So you got to get this one right before these can be right. I read a story about a missionary who came from another country to the United States. A few years back, and I don't know if this is still true, I need to look it up, but several years ago, there were more missionaries being sent to the United States than the United States was sending out. So argue that we're a Christian nation or not, right? They're looking at us and saying, we need to send some people over to evangelize that country. More people were being sent here than there. So one of them came over and he, he said this about American Christianity. He said, I'd hate to be a Christian in America because you have so many other things to steal your attention, so many other things that bring you joy, right? So we have so many other things. Now listen, things aren't bad. That's what I'm talking about. They become a problem when we're finding our joy in those things and not in Christ. He says, it says, what this missionary is saying is it's tough to follow Christ where you live today in Pampa, Texas, right? Because you got so many other things that can bring you some temporary joy, and you just bounce from one to the next to the next to the next to the next, right? You can go home tonight, and you can watch YouTube videos all night long, not even go to sleep, right? Laugh until you can't laugh anymore because there's some crazy stuff out there, and it's just so much fun, so awesome. But at the end of the day, you got to turn those things off. At the end of the night, your battery on your phone goes dead. It doesn't last forever. That joy is temporary. So what John is calling us to is this lasting joy that's complete in Christ, in the Father, through fellowship, in fellowship with one another, all right? We faithfully proclaim so many other things, and that's the image that we portray. So just to wrap up, so often what we proclaim are things that are joy stealers and not joy givers. We talk about things, tell other people about things, we evangelize them on other things, and at the end of the day, those things are empty. And never once speak of Christ. Never once speak of Christ. So my question to you tonight as we wrap up is, what is it that you faithfully proclaim? you got 24 hours in a day just like I do. You're proclaiming something with your life, whether you know it or not. Your life says something. It's what you talk about. It's what you look at. It's what you carry with you. It's how you dress. It's all these things. You're proclaiming something. Is it something that's going to last? Jesus? Or is it something else? If you don't find joy in this world, faithfully proclaim him, and your joy will be made complete. I'm not telling you that, John. Has written that in the book of First John. So looking into next week, we talk about, about the cross. Maybe your vertical relationship is off and it's not right. Maybe it's just not going the way it should be. We're going to challenge one another from next Wednesday for three weeks after that, 21 days, to be in God's word every day. That might be a brand new thing for some of you. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully it's already a habit, but for some of you it may not be a habit. So we're going to make that challenge, and we're going to hold one another accountable, and I'll tell you how we're going to do that next week. But as we go into next week, as you leave out tonight, I want you to think, what is it that you faithfully proclaim? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Do you talk about Jesus so he brings joy to others, or do you talk about other things that bring temporary joy that come to an end? You have to answer the question, all right?
you have to answer the question for yourself. I hope and I pray that it's Jesus that you proclaim, that you talk about, you just can't get him off your mind and off your heart. You're telling everybody you see.